0: can take a seat. It's good to see you all on a Sunday morning. Are you good? That's good. Let me just look at you. Hi. 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 I like coming to Wellington for two reasons, probably more. I like the coffee here. And I like the people here. Wakash, how long have you been playing the keys? Oh my gosh, does he just do everything? Oh, he's one of those annoying people. So annoying. No, you like? Can you sing too? We should sing tonight, me and you. No, no. (laughs) Thank, Thank you, Wakash. You can take a seat. Oh, team, team, you can take a seat, but stay close. Um, it, is, it is amazing to be here uh, in Wellington. Uh, it's in, even more incredible to be here in Wellington with my husband. That's exciting. I um, mean, you know you're home when you walk through the front doors of a church, and two seconds later, I turn around to try and find my husband, and he has gone. And he's talking to 5, 10, 15 different people. And I'm like, oh, I'm not seeing him till the end of the service. So I know I'm home. Um, and it, it is really good to be here. in um, preparing for this morning, I have been praying and I have been asking God to give me a word. And I felt really challenged by God uh, this morning to not just bring a, a word, but to, to tell you my story. And this is a challenge this morning because I think I have told you my story maybe 15 billion times. But this morning, because God has said, I will obey. And this is a good way to live life, people. Because God has said, that is enough reason to obey. And I think the reason why we might have some trouble with that is I think sometimes we just grow up in the wrong way. And we're all proud of it. We're all proud of being grown up. (laughs) We're all proud of being serious. (laughs) But I remember being a kid. And I remember having, uh, you know, school holidays. Back in the days when there was only three school terms, Um, instead of four, and our holidays were like three weeks long, and my mum had a rule in our house, we were not allowed to watch TV during the day, and my mum was one of those um, spirit-filled mums that just knew when her kids were disobeying, so every time we would go to turn on the TV, literally 10 minutes later, my mum would call, what are you guys doing? Nothing? You guys watching TV? No! No! but we were, so we, myself and my two older brothers, what we would do is we would play pretend, just like you did, Um, but do you know what we didn't do? We didn't dream or play pretend, we didn't, we weren't little and playing pretend about one day being really, really average. No one did that. No one did that when we were little. When we were little, we actually believed we could save, change, be significant in the world. When we were little, we had no issues putting the capes on and jumping from couch to couch to couch, believing we could fly or believing we were on the way to stop the most evil, most dangerous power in the world. We had no issues believing we could change the world. And then we grow up. Here's what Matthew 18 says. In the first couple of scriptures, Jesus says this, unless you can be like a child, you will never enter the kingdom. (laughs) Unless you can be like a child, you're never gonna enter the kingdom. Is that a little bit challenging this morning? Unless you can be like a child, you can never enter the kingdom. So I think about what it was like to be a child. Do you know my life was falling apart when I was a child? I still had no issues believing I could change the world. My parents were at it all the time. There was abuse. There was separation. There was fighting. But I could still play pretend. But I could still dream. Unless you can be like a child, you will never enter the kingdom. So, this morning, if you just turn with me to Matthew chapter 18, and in verse 1, it says this about that time, the disciples, <laughs> I laugh because this is funny. About that time, the disciples came to Jesus and, says, and asked Jesus, who was the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Do you know what they weren't asking was a general question? Do you know what they were doing? Had old Judas there with his money bag. Well, I'm the treasurer. Surely I'm the greatest we got Simon over here. Yeah, well, I was the first one Jesus called to be his disciple. I'm the greatest. God, oh, you know, um, John, but I'm the beloved one. Did he say that about any of you? No? I'm the greatest. I'm the one that Jesus is going to give everything to. I'm the one that Jesus is going to hand things over to. Peter, yeah, but I do the dumbest things and still... Jesus has got me hanging out with him. I've got to be the greatest. And in Mark, in this account in Mark, Jesus overhears them and says, what are you arguing about? And then the disciples turn and say, Jesus, could you just tell us who is the greatest? You know, Jesus said, unless you can be a childlike, you will never enter the kingdom. Childlike and childish is very different. Because 1 Corinthians 13 says, put away childish things. And there's a big difference between being childish. Oh, but Jesus, are you going to give me the position? Oh, but Jesus, are you going to notice me and all the things I do? Oh, but Jesus, what about me, me, me? And then being childlike. Jesus says, I tell you the truth, unless you turn away from your sins and become like little children, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. So anyone who becomes as humble as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. When I think about childish things, we usually appropriate that word with negative things. It's a bird, be careful. There's two, it's exciting. But we do. We usually appropriate the word childish to negative things. But when I think about being childlike, man, wouldn't it be great to just have that tireless kind of curiosity with Jesus? Oh, Jesus! Well, what if we did this? Well, what if we did hire a hall every week? Well, what if we just put out more seats? Well, what if we just invite 800 feral teenagers into a building? Well, what would happen? What would happen if we have no actual health and safety plan? What would happen if we did this or that? I don't know if that was the case, was it? Oh, we had a plan. It was run. That was the plan. What would happen? But why, Jesus? Oh, my. A tireless kind of... Of curiosity, you know, children who um, who are able to forget in the very next hour what they did wrong. <laughs> children who have seriously, uh, my my niece Caden. After she plays up, we, we always say, Caden, you need to say sorry. She says, Okay, Auntie, I'm sorry. And then thirty seconds later, we're done with it. I'm a I'm a, I'm a Great child, I have great people around me, and I'm enjoying life. Do you know another thing kids are able to do? Kids are able to, kids have the facility to suspend disbelief. Kids have the ability to completely suspend, stop disbelief. In Mark chapter 5, there's a story of Jairus and the woman with the issue of blood. And in the end of this whole story, Jairus' daughter has died. And Jesus looks at Jairus and says, just believe. Just believe. Jairus, if you could just be like a child and suspend your disbelief for a minute. But we've got to understand what Jesus was doing in the scripture. Jairus comes and says, Jesus, can you heal my daughter? Jesus goes to heal his daughter and on the way gets interrupted, air quotes, interrupted by a woman with the issue of blood. And Jesus stops and tends to her. In that time, Jairus' daughter dies. Someone comes and tells him. And Jairus is standing there going, what is up with that, Jesus. And Jesus just turns to Jairus and say, just believe. Could it be that Jesus orchestrated a miracle for someone else? Just so Jairus might be able to stand there, experience it, and then have the facility to once again suspend disbelief and appropriate belief. Why do you think it's a good idea to come to church? So you can hear that God moves in secular environments so that you can hear that God does miraculous things and think, oh, yep, after an hour and a half of church, I can suspend some disbelief in my life. After an hour and a half of of Jordan talking about, man, this is what happened in a secular environment. God was worshipped corporately, not just at a school in Poruru. It happened in Bishop Viard, where Catholic nuns were standing there at the back Crying and saying, "This is the day that our school will change forever." Bishop Viyard, I was at that school last year, and we walked into that school, and I'm looking through the Internet because I always do my research on schools. And just before, there was a mass school fight on their school grounds that was filmed and put up on Facebook. But there were nuns crying at the back, saying, "God is here." Well, we've never felt the presence of God like that before. We're not allowed to do that as revolution tour. But I love that miracles, and when we share stories like that, this is an opportunity in this moment to believe again. And this morning, I pray you begin to believe again. So I've been asking myself the question in the last two weeks or maybe more, why did I stop believing? When did I stop believing when did I stop believing that I could change the world? And in this moment, that uh, while I've been praying, as I share my story with you this morning, God took me back to a moment that I remember in my childhood. Uh, I remember the weather. I remember everything about this day. And it was the day that my parents sat us down in the lounge at 12 Poranoi Street, Mount Eden, And where they told us that they were going to separate and get divorced. And I remember my mum looking at us kids and saying, this is not about you. We love you. This is not your fault, but your father and I cannot be together anymore. And I remember sitting there as a kid, eight, going, yeah, okay. I remember that day. I remember my dad had packed all of his stuff and put it in the silver John Andrew Ford Number plate, NT3499. And after that, we all hugged my dad, had our individual hugs. And when I hugged my dad, I said to him, can you just stay? And look, I understand it now as an adult, how hard it might be for a father to look at his eight-year-old daughter and explain why he has to go. But as an eight-year-old, what I just saw was my dad not saying anything and then my dad leaving. I remember our house was very quiet that day, which is strange, because I'm brown. We tend to have very loud houses. (laughs) And I remember watching my dad drive out of the gravel, down the gravel driveway, and I remember a moment, God took me back to this moment, where in that moment, I, I just thought to myself, this is my fault. I'm eight. I, I, I don't know how to process the situation. I'm eight. And I remember from that moment, genuinely believing that my dad had left because of me, because I wasn't good enough, because I wasn't a good enough daughter. I wasn't, a, insert whatever excuse or reason here. And I remember, uh, I remember from this moment, just becoming a little bit hardened as a kid. I remember that I stopped Believing, I genuinely believed, as I hardened my heart, that this was the best thing to do. Because if people get too close to me, I am going to hurt you. This was my process as a kid. I wasn't so much worried, I don't think, about people hurting me. I figured I could probably take care of myself. But I genuinely believed somewhere that if you got too close, I will probably hurt you. I will probably ruin you. I will probably break you. I will probably hurt you. And then I began to grow up. Then I began to just take things into my own hands. Then I began the journey of control. Then I began the journey of insecurity. Then I began the journey of seeking after position, after affection, after Jesus, who's the greatest. I began, even as a teenager, when I gave my heart to Jesus, and man, this has been doing my head and my heart in for the last month. Because I've been looking back and even as I journeyed with God as a young person and a young adult, I began to look back and see how many of my decisions to follow forward in Jesus was not necessarily because I was absolutely in love with Jesus, but it was a shame-based fear that I was just not enough. And this morning, for you, it is my heart's desire, and I know that it is God's as well, that we believe again. But in order for that to happen, I believe that there is a moment of divine redemption that is here for moments in our own lives, whether we were a child, whether we were a teenager, when we stopped believing. And when we started reaching for other things to make us significant, reaching for other things to give us meaning. But this morning, unless we become like a child again, we are going to be unable to enter in to the promise, to the breakthrough. And until then, we'll be doing everything that we can to make the wilderness more comfortable. And if we do that, there's a limit to the amount of power that God will allow us to walk in if our motive is just to make our wilderness more comfortable. A comfortable wilderness is not the same as the abundant promise of freedom. And so for me, and I pray this morning for you that we wouldn't just sit here, here in a hall and hear a message. Wakash, come on up. He's so good. It's a great shirt you got on this morning too. I pray this morning that you would allow an incredible amount of vulnerability that God might divinely redeem that moment. So if one thing is to be childish, what is it to be childlike? Do you know in the same scripture in Matthew chapter 18, uh, as as it carries on, Peter asks the question, Lord, how often should I forgive someone? Should it be seven times? Wow, Peter, just seven. (laughs) After that, then can I hate on them? Jesus replied, no, not seven times, but 70 times seven. Now, I don't think Jesus was giving a, like a mathematical equation that we need to figure out. And then every time someone does something to offend us, we like tally it up. And then by the time we get to 70 times seven, well, that's enough now. Oh, I'm cutting you off. But I think Jesus could have been referring to a childlike kind of forgiveness If you're a parent here, you know. Do you know, when I was a kid, I had no issues forgiving my dad. After things would happen in our family, I would still look at my dad as my hero. And I weep in this moment, not because I have unforgiveness with my dad now, but because I've spent so much time in my adult life holding unforgiveness because I grew up and I felt justified to do so. During Easter, I was speaking at Easter camps because just doing one is not fun. Do two. And at this one Easter camp in the South Island, I told a story of divine redemption in a moment where, in desperation, a girl reached out to God, and in that moment, God had healed her physical scars of self-harm, and I told the story in Christchurch at this camp, and before I could take the words back, I said, and God can do that for you, and then I stood there going, oh, why did I do that? (laughs) Now I better follow through in front of 3,000 people. And so all I did was I said, "Put if that's you, put your hand on your scars and I'll pray. I prayed a prayer, short and sweet. And then I carried on at the end of the service. A girl came up to me, hugging me, crying. And her sister was about a meter away from me. She was crying also and swearing. Um, and I was like, what is happening here? I don't really understand. Uh, After it all, uh, turns out the the older sister, she works for an organisation, Attitude, who goes from school to school, speaking health messages of resilience and hope. Meanwhile, her little sister's life was falling apart. So while her little sister was self-harming and taking photos of her self-harm scars and putting them up on social media, her older sister was falling closer and closer into depression because look at me going around into high schools giving hope to young people and I can't even do that for my sister. And in this moment, there was a divine redemptive moment where God had healed not just one but both. By the end of that camp uh, and f- a phone call with the camp director, he had said to me that they had had twenty reports of scars being completely removed. They had had community groups arrive at that camp. The leaders weren 't even really Christians, but the parents didn 't want the youth uh, you know their, their kids for the long weekend, so like, take them to Easter camp. And they had community leaders calling the camp director going, we don't know what's going on. Can you come and talk to our kids? They're asking us questions about why their scars got healed. Last week I had a conversation, or two weeks ago, with Pastor Steve. His son is a youth leader in that camp and said that two weeks after that camp, a kid came up to him and was talking and he noticed that he had no scars. And so Pastor Steve, Graham's son, was like, what happened there? And the kid's like, oh, they're gone. And he was like, well, did you think you might have told someone about that? And this kid was like, ah, oh, was I supposed to? I just thought it was normal. I mean, so it was happening everywhere. I just thought, so we have 20 reports of it actually happening. But then there were kids that was just like, isn't this what happens? Child-like faith. I, I stood in this room of kids just, I didn't do anything. But there was this childlike faith. We're in this moment, healing. Some were not even self-harm scars. One was a facial surgical scar from ear to chin. That scar was gone and she was freaking out. Girl from Invercargill. Why was she freaking out? Not because the scar was removed. She's freaking out. Whoa, how do I tell my parents? I don't know how to explain this to my, that was her biggest issue. I do not know how to explain this to my mum and dad. Faith. You know, in that moment, it was great for me. I was like, whoo, saved. (laughs) Because that could have gone ugly, man. You know, in in that moment, I wept and I wept, not just because God had healed, but I had heard God say to me, Esther, you have believed for so long that you are the scar maker see today I have renamed you the scar taker and this is why I am so happy I know you can't tell you can't tell but I don't know what else to do I don't know what else to do but say thank I don't know what else to do but sing. I don't know what else to do but go on Revolution Tour and keep going. I don't know what else to do but to keep hugging kids. I don't know what else to do but to keep serving awesome leaders like Jordan and Chrissy. I don't know what else to do but to keep encouraging Wakash about his shirt. I don't know what else to do but to say, Patsy, you're awesome for doing the lights. I don't know what else to do but to put my cape on and wear my undies outside of my pants. Not in public. I don't know what else to do but to just believe. Stand to your feet. In Ephesians, (laughs) Sorry, in Exodus chapter 6, verse 9, Moses told the people what the Lord had said. The Lord had said to a people in slavery for far too long Here today, now is your freedom. Here today, now I will take you out of Egypt. But this is what the end of the verse said. They refused to listen anymore, they had become too discouraged by the brutality of their slavery. They couldn't listen to the message of freedom because the brutality of years of slavery made it nearly impossible to. This morning I pray, and I'm going to pray. That the brutality of your slavery to whatever issue, to whatever memory, to whatever circumstance, to whatever curse would be broken in Jesus' name. That you might hear the freedom. Today is your promise of freedom. Today is when we believe. Today is when we move forward into the abundance of God and out of the wilderness because the two cannot coexist. So this morning, if you would close your eyes. And I would like to pray this morning that the Holy Spirit would come. And for you who have stopped believing, maybe not entirely, but in particular circumstances with healing or with finance, or just you've stopped believing that that God has got good things for you, there is a redemptive moment here. If you would just allow it to take place, So if that's you this morning, in this moment, would you lift your hands as a sign of God, I want to believe again. I don't know how or why I stopped believing, but I want to believe that you've got good things for me again. I want to believe that your promise is good. I want to believe that I'm going to see the results in my lifetime. I want to see that my children are going to be okay. I want to believe again. Father, in this moment, I pray for healing in that place, in that space where the brutality of life has overcome and squashed belief and I take authority over the lie that has settled in place and I break it in the name of Jesus and I declare hope, enter in. I declare love, enter in. Fear be displaced in Jesus' name. Rejection be dethroned in the name of Jesus and let peace reign. Father, I pray for every hand lifted. Let peace reign. Let peace reign. Let vision reign. Let love reign in its place. I take authority again over every lie and we silence it in the name of Jesus. And I pray where the brutality of life has come, let there be healing now. Let there be healing over every scar, inner and outer. Let there be healing, Jesus. And let belief rise. I pray, Father, for dreams and visions in living colour. I pray, Lord, for divine strategy in living colour. I pray for detail within that strategy that is going to unlock heaven over situations. I pray that the confidence of heaven would come in now. Man, I just know that even in this moment, if not before that, God has given people divine strategy, but what is missing is confidence. So now if that's you, I speak confidence, confidence, confidence in the name of Jesus. He will not leave. He will not forsake. Rather, you will know the full weight of heaven behind you in the name of Jesus. Dream again. Believe again hope again Thank you Father for Equippers Wellington Thank you Lord that it is a light on a hill and that it shines refuge and safety but it also shines initiative and momentum and movement forward. Father, I pray that the doors of this church would be swung open wide and that the lost would come running in because this is a church where I'm accepted. This is a church where God moves. This is a church where I can change and my family can change. Let the light shine from this place in Jesus' name. While every head is bowed and eye closed, if there is anyone here in this place that does not know Jesus, that you uh, don't know what it is to walk with Jesus or know Jesus walking with you. Perhaps you have, but you've walked away. I'd love to pray with you this morning. And just so I can pray with you, all I want you to do is just lift your hand in this moment and say, Yep, Esther, that's me. I want to walk with God and know the redemptive power of God in my life. I've walked away from him or I do not know him. So if that's you in this moment, just just lift your hand high and give me a wave. And I'd love to pray with you. Is there anyone this morning? Okay. I I don't think anyone has lifted their hand. Father, I thank you for every person that is here. I thank you you've met them and you have encountered them. I thank you that you have more for them. And I pray from this moment, they would know your kind of greater, your kind of more, your kind of sufficiency in their lives. I thank you for blessing and favor and that they would know it today. In Jesus' name, amen. Give God a hand yeah. for what He has done. We're going to continue to worship. Why don't you just close your eyes and let's just stay in this space with well, an amazing word that was just spoken. Come on, do what?